0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. In this series, we'll be looking at a few familiar Christmas carols we sing and how they give us a deeper understanding of Christmas and ultimately point us to Jesus. Thanks for joining us this Advent season. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have bucket lists? I don't have a a formal one, but one of the things on my bucket list is to read the novel War and Peace. Now, you might be thinking that is a pathetic bucket list, right? But if it's considered to be the greatest novel written of all time, I'd like to read it at some point. I actually started it a couple of weeks ago. I'm 17 pages in, so uh, yeah, we got that going for us. And I was just thinking a little bit about the title of that novel, War and Peace. It feels like a total oxymoron, right? Those two things do not go together. And it reminded me of this story. Some of you are probably familiar with it way back in World War I. World War I was considered to be probably the worst war in human history. New technologies had just been developed, tanks and uh, mustard gas, and the battles were being fought in these trenches, which were just brutal and horrendous and gruesome. But in 1914, on Christmas season, Many German and British soldiers actually decided to have a day of peace together. It started with the Germans on Christmas Eve. They started singing Christmas carols and some of the uh, allies recognized those songs even though they couldn't speak the same language and they started singing the songs together across no man's land. And then the next morning on Christmas morning, German soldiers actually started coming up out of their trenches and walking across the battlefield. At first, you can imagine, The Allied soldiers were a little bit like, what is going on? But soon they recognized what was happening. They too came out of the trenches and they exchanged gifts to one another. Things like plum pudding and cigarettes, of course. They shook hands. Uh, They sang songs. They ate together. History.com even says there is a documented soccer match that happened in that no man's land area. Now, sadly, that kind of Christmas truce didn't last. The uh, commanding officers made sure of that. They would punish anybody who tried that kind of stunt again. But on that special day, on Christmas Day, the spirit of peace was experienced in a truly tremendous way. Now, when we think of Christmas, I think peace is certainly one of the words that we tend to think of, right? We think of little manger scenes with Jesus and shepherds and wise men and the little baby. Yet, according to the Bible, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we recognize at Christmas time. In fact, if you're following on your notes with me this morning, at Christmas, the Prince of Peace came to declare war. That sounds like an oxymoron. What am I talking about? Well, take a look at how the Apostle John describes Christmas in Revelation chapter 12. He writes, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now, obviously, that passage is a lot more than just talking about Christmas, and I don't have time to get into unpacking it, but it is about Christmas to some degree. Satan, represented by the dragon, knows exactly what Jesus' birth is going to mean, and he does everything in his power in order to stop it. But aren't you glad the Prince of Peace cannot be stopped? Christmas is about God breaking into this world that is at war in order to bring peace. Now, I'm sharing this because I know for many of you in this room, peace is not the word you think of when you think of Christmas, right? Maybe you think of things like battles, pain, illness, hardships. You find yourself in the metaphorical trenches of life right now. You love all the twinkling stars and the lights and the decorations, and yet your life feels a lot more like a war than it does peace. And my word to us together this Advent season is that's to be expected. It's to be expected. We talk a lot around here. As Jesus followers, we live in between two times. We live in the now of the kingdom, but the not yet of the kingdom. We live in between what I would call D-Day and V-E-Day. This is my favorite illustration to describe where we find ourselves, right? When Jesus came on Christmas, when he went to the cross, when he was raised from the dead, much like the allied forces on D-Day, storming Normandy's beach, the war is over for all technical purposes. And yet it still took them two years to conquer Germany on V-E-Day. We're living right in that time. We're still at war going on. And so when we think of peace, we don't often experience it the way we think or expect that we should. But that's because we're still in war. And Advent season, as Chuck mentioned earlier, is really all about us waiting for VE Day. We live in between those two days. We call to Jesus, come Prince of Peace once and for all. And put an end to this misery, this hardships, these trials, these wars. Finish it forever. And that's the thing I like about Advent, right? We think so often just about the past and what Jesus did. But Advent is also us reminding ourselves there's a day coming when we will have victory over everything over war and hardships and pain and suffering and tears. No more of those things. And to help us go through Advent this year, we've been doing a series called The Songs of Christmas. And we're looking at some of the most familiar, famous songs that we sing together. Songs we're probably so used to, we don't even realize how deep they really are. And today, my song is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And my hope as we consider this song is that we can think of the message behind it, which is all about peace that we, no matter what we're facing in our lives today, can experience a true peace in our lives because that's the reality we can have between the here and not yet of the kingdom. Now, the truth is, this is actually my favorite song to sing. I didn't plan for this to happen. It's my favorite for two reasons. One is just a nostalgic reason. When we moved from Minnesota to California, it was just me and my dad packing up our old station wagons. You remember the ones with the, the wood paneling? Right And never wore a seatbelt. I'm sitting in the back of the station wagon for over 2,500 miles. But one of the things I did was re- I read the best Christmas pageant ever to my dad. If any of you have ever read this book, it's a, it's a great book. And there's this character who instead of getting the line right, she was supposed to say, Hark unto you a child is born. Hark just means listen. She was a little rough around the edges and she said, Hey! Unto you a child is born. So that memory just sticks in my mind. But the other reason I love this song is just so theologically rich. In fact, let me invite you to turn over to the back. As I talk a little about the history of this song, just kind of skim over these words. We're so used to them, but they're just so deep. This actually was written by Charles Wesley as a poem. In 1739, he was the great English hymn writer. He wrote over 6,000 hymns, the most of any male in history. Fanny Crosby beats him by 2,000 hymns, though she wrote over 8,000 hymns. Wesley's goal in writing hymns was to teach the poor and the illiterate sound doctrine. His brother was named John Wesley. He was a famous theologian, and he was the founder of Methodism. And he said, quote, that Charles Hymnal was the best theological book in existence. He wrote this poem when he was walking towards the church on Christmas Day, and he started to hear the London church bells ring. It was one year after his conversion that he wrote it. And it wasn't until 1753 when George Whitfield, who was a student and colleague of Wesley's, adapted this poem into the song we now know today. Those names I'm mentioning are some of the heroes of the Christian faith. I mean, this song right here has a great heritage for us. And it's based on the verses in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Jeff briefly touched on these last week, but can we read them out loud together there? You can turn over back to the front of your notes. This is what this song is based on. Verse 13 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favorite for well over 200 years followers of Jesus, have gathered together and sung this song, this gospel-saturated song. And the key idea of this song, if you're following on your notes, is that Jesus brings peace and reconciliation to our broken world. That is what we sing when we sing this song. Now, let me just break that down a little bit. First, what exactly does it mean that Jesus brings peace? Part of me wanted to have a blank on your notes here. What do you think of of the word peace. How would you define peace? I think a lot of people today might define peace as comfort. The goal in life, especially for many Western Christians, is to be comfortable, right? Or to not have any trouble happen in our lives. I just want everything to go smoothly in my life. I want to avoid hard things. If you're falling on your notes, worldly peace seeks only the absence of trouble. Now, hear me. There's nothing wrong with that. None of us want to like choose to have hardships and trials and troubles in my life. But here's the problem with that. It ain't gonna happen. I don't care how hard you try. If you're a human being in this room, you will face trouble, right? That is Jesus' promise to us. We're gonna have trouble in this world. Jesus himself faced excruciating trials and hardships in his life, spiritual, physical, emotional, and yet, he could still experience peace. The word for peace in the Bible, some of you know this, is shalom. Shalom. It has a rich history with the Jewish people. It's how they would greet one another. Shalom, it's how they would say goodbye to one another. And it's an incredibly deep word. It's not just the absence of trouble. If you're following, shalom means wholeness and completeness. No matter what we face. Isn't that great? Say to somebody, shalom, I wish wholeness for you. I wish completeness for you. God desires this for us as his people. Shalom in our hearts, our souls, our minds, our bodies. When I think of the word shalom, I think of the word content. Just take a deep breath right now. Shalom. I want you to be content with your life. I want you to have a sense of completeness and wholeness. Jesus experienced shalom. Shalom. Shalom, even in the worst suffering, because he knew exactly who he was. He knew his identity, and he knew exactly whose he was. He belonged to the Father. He was whole. Now, this kind of peace, this shalom, is supernatural. It's not something you can muster up on your own. It's not based on any sort of feelings. Have you ever experienced the supernatural shalom of Christ? When I was asked to speak in high school in front of three thousand or 300 of my peers, excuse me, I did not want to get up there. I did not want to talk. My youth pastor pulled me aside with some counselors, and they prayed what we, we heard read for us in the Advent reading in Philippians, right? May the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, come over you. And I don't know how to describe it. This doesn't ha- hasn't happened to me more than once or twice in my life, but supernatural peace. I know who I am, and I know whose I am, and I know that he is calling me to do this. Have you had that? That no matter what it is you're facing, you just have this clear sense of contentment, of wholeness, of purpose. That's shalom. If you're falling on your notes, shalom has nothing to do with feelings. It's about a new reality. A new reality that every person can now tap into their lives because of Christmas. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time together on. How can we experience shalom? How does Jesus, as the bringer of shalom, give us the opportunity to experience peace? First, if you're on your notes, Jesus came to bring us peace or shalom with God. We see it in the lyric. We are going to sing later. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Now, I hope not, but maybe the language of having a personal relationship with God is new to you. You don't think of it like that at all, a personal friendship relationship. But that is truly the heart of the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the world, his dream was to be in relationship with you, his people, his creation with humanity and human beings. That is why we've been created, to be known by God and to be loved by God. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us this relationship was broken. Shalom was ruined once and for all. Things went terribly wrong when we turned aside from God and desired to be our own gods. The Bible calls this sin. And just to be clear here, I'm not talking about the bad things that you do. Those are sins. Sin is the big idea that all of us have deep in our hearts that I don't want God. I don't need God. So I'm going to turn my back on God. I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to live my own life. Every single one of us have made that decision in our life. I want to ignore God. The problem is it leads to the opposite of peace. It leads to what we see in our world today. Destructions and wars, divorces. That could go on and on. And the result is we've been alienated from God. And we need to be reconciled. And friends, that is what, More than anything else, Christmas is about. This is where the war began, when you and I turned our back on God. Paul puts it as clearly as possible in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. People don't like hearing this today, right? We want to hear of a God who is love. But Paul is pretty clear, you're actually God's enemy. I'm actually God's enemy because I've turned my back on God. But God is love, thank goodness. He could have just let us go. He could have just declared war against us. But instead, in Jesus, something amazing happened. God, in his great love, has come to bring us back to himself. Emmanuel, God in the flesh, has come to be with us. In fact, the very next verse of Colossians, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, Let's read it out loud together there. It says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you're following on your notes, Jesus reconciles our broken relationship from sin. Now that word reconcile can sound a little bit churchy. Probably not something you use in your everyday language, but literally all that it means is to restore some sort of a friendship or relationship that is broken. If you're married, you have to do this regularly, right? You need to reconcile with one another. The most powerful example of this that I've read in the last few years, some of you have read the book Unbroken, uh, the story of Louis Zamperini. There's a moment in this book when he goes to a Billy Graham crusade, you got to read it if you haven't read it. Like how many of you have read this book? An amazing story. You need to read it. I'm done. But he goes to a Billy Graham crusade. He was a World War II veteran. He was, he was tortured in Japan. And he goes through this Billy, Craig, Billy Graham crusade and he comes to faith in Christ. And he realizes that one of the things that he's going to now have to do, which he did not want to do, is to forgive the very people who abused him in prison. To reconcile with them. And there's a scene in the book when he flies back to Japan and he meets some of the prison guards who were the worst to him. And he does the hardest thing for us as human beings to do. He forgives them. He forgives them. And at that moment, he experiences what we would call true shalom. Now, if you've been with us as the church, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark together, and you probably know, we talk about it regularly, like when the Jews thought about Messiah, when they thought about God sending their Messiah, what they really wanted was peace over the Roman rule, right? They wanted Jesus to come and overthrow the, the Romans. They thought that would bring true peace, but Christmas is about a different kind of peace. In Advent, we wait for that day when he overthrows all the kingdoms and powers of this world. But in his first arrival, Jesus came to bring peace to something more important. If you're falling on your notes, though we were his enemies, he has made us friends. As Paul said, right, he has made you holy, free from any blemish, free from any accusation. You stand before God now if you've been reconciled through Christ as his friend. Just pause and think about that. Friend, is that how you live your life with Jesus, my friend? I mean, he still deserves glory and honor and awe, but there's this now incredible thing that happened at Christmas that you have been reconciled with the God of the universe because that is his desire for you, to be in a relationship of friendship together with you. That's shalom. Shalom. Do you have it? My favorite verse in Hark the Herald is Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. That always gives me the chills. I promise you, I have chills right now just reading that. Because I was dead in my trespasses and sin. But I've been born again because He has reconciled me, He has given me what I do not deserve. And that's the gospel. The gospel of shalom. Do you have it? Do you have this kind of peace with God? Or if you turned your back on him and you want nothing to do with him. Or are you like me early in my life where you're just spinning on the religious wheel right now? I got to be good. I got to be good. You're never going to get peace that way. It's never coming. Give it up. Jesus doesn't want religion. He wants Relationship. And he came for that very reason, to reconcile you with God. All we do is receive this incredible gift that he's given us through faith. A gift that is completely by grace. If you have not done that, today I encourage you to do it. If you really want to experience shalom in your life, it is the only way. Now, if you have experienced that, this is going to filter down to other areas of our lives. In fact, if you're following, the second kind of peace Jesus brings is peace in our circumstances, no matter how hard they are. Near the end of his life, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples right before he was about to be arrested and crucified. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus knows his disciples are about to experience a crushing blow. He is going to be arrested and crucified in the most painful means possible. But he says to them, I'm going to make you a promise. Unlike other worldly promises, unlike other gifts where sometimes people ask for them back, I'm going to give you my peace. And it can never be taken away from you. This is not going to be the absence of pain or hurt or violence or uncertainty or war. His gift is peace. And if you're following, here's the idea. Peace is a person. Jesus with us, Emmanuel. His assurance to you and me as his disciples is that no matter how hopeless your situation feels right now, I'm with you. I am your peace. You can't manufacture peace. You're not going to feel peace, but you can be certain that I am with you always, even to the end of the age, as he said. Remember the story of the disciples in the boat on the Sea of Galilee earlier this year in Mark? Like these are experienced fishermen, experienced sailors, and they're freaking out because of this giant storm that is taking place. And all the while, Jesus is sound asleep. And they wake him up. And they basically accuse him, saying, Don't you care what happens to us? And then Mark records what happens next. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are dying? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, One word, Shalom. It's just one word. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. I'm so much like the disciples. Are you? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you see what's happening in my life right now? Why are you allowing the waters to fill my boat? And his promise isn't, those storms aren't going to come, Steve. His promise is simply, shalom. I'm with you. I would not be a follower of Jesus if it weren't for the fact that Jesus went through everything that we go through as human beings. This is what makes Jesus so much greater than anything this world can possibly offer. You've suffered, he suffered. In the most excruciating way possible. So in the real sense of the word, he is with you. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes about this. But we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know what you're going through right now, but you're going through something. Maybe it's a relational conflict, pressure at work, a loss of a job, an illness. If that's where you find yourself today, there's other things. Let me just encourage you. He's with you. He knows you. He's for you. He loves you. He will meet you in your time of need. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise he gave to his disciples in that same conversation we just read about. Would you read John 16, 33 on your notes there with me? It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have shalom. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, not only is he with you, but here's what Advent's all about. There's a day coming where he will return and he will claim victory over every illness, over every hardship, over every broken relationship, over every war, because he has already overcome the world. V-E day is certain. He is coming again And friends, if you're following Jesus' promise isn't no trials now, it's eternal victory later. That's why you can have peace. That's why I can have peace. I can look at the world like he does and say, this is not how it's supposed to be. But he entered into this mess and he declared victory over death and sin. And one day he will claim victory over all evil. So let me encourage you to take heart in this third week of Advent, in midst whatever hardship you're facing this week or beyond this week, look to him, cling to him, that his promise is that I'm with you. I'm with you to the end of the age, to the end of your struggle, to the end of your life. And he will bring shalom to this world once and for all and put an end to put an end to all strife. Third reality Jesus brings is peace with one another. This phrase one another is everywhere in the Bible, everywhere. And it's always referring to how we are to relate with one another as the body of Christ, as his church. And one of the things Jesus came to bring is peace with one another. His dream isn't just that individuals will experience peace. That's what we reduce faith down to so much, especially in Western cultures. His dream was to create a new community of unity and oneness and purpose. I love what Paul writes in Ephesians two fourteen through 16. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. What two groups is he talking about? Jews and Gentiles. How many Gentiles we got in here? Every single one of us. What good news is that he brought us into his chosen family, his his people, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, thank goodness for that, that's the religious wheel we cannot win, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making Shalom and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. That's his dream. For us to live together as one body, no matter what politics are happening, no matter what sort of issues are going on around the world, it's not just learning how to agree to disagree. It's learning how to live life together with purpose and unity of mind. And when we start to learn that, obviously the goal becomes we need to be bringers of peace ourselves. This is his mission for us. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be the children of God. Well, that makes sense. If Jesus, our brother, came to bring peace, we're going to bring peace to this world just like he did. If you're following on your notes, as God's children, we now bring peace to the world. You're a bringer of shalom, follower of Jesus. Wherever he's placed you, you're a bringer of shalom in your gym, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the children of God. As we wait for VE Day, here's what I want you to do. Bring peace. Bring reconciliation. Be a person who models what Jesus did for you. I love what Paul again writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This is the gospel, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Praise his name. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and then what? Read that. And gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's a high calling. I'm not sure it's going so well in the American church right now. But we're going after it. Amen? Reconciling the world to Christ, bringing the message of shalom to people who are desperate for us. And so as I close here, I'm just going to offer three Concrete ways that you and I, as individuals, can begin to do this in our lives, especially as you head into the contentious season of Christmas. I don't know what your family situation's like, but how can you be a bringer of shalom in the next three weeks? I'll give you three ideas. First, as James says, this is hard for some of us, be quick to listen and slow to speak. We live in a time today where everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to share their opinion, and everybody is convinced that their opinion is the right opinion. And most of the time, it's not shared in love. What if, as God's children, peacemakers, we learn to listen better? Instead of being so focused on trying to change people and the error of their ways, what if, like Jesus, who asked way more questions than he actually gave answers, we learn to ask questions and listen to listen before we speak. Now, don't hear me wrong. Listen, if somebody needs to be corrected, if truth needs to be spoken in a relationship, we don't shy away from that. But Jesus gave us some pretty clear directives on how to do that in Matthew 18. We do that in the context of Twitter, obviously. (laughs) No, we do that in the context of personal relationships. Go to your brother or sister and point out to them where they may be falling short in grace. Listen, if you're constantly fueling discontent with your speech, if you love it when the new scandal breaks, or you like sharing conspiracies or gossips, if you're always critical, if you're always fault-finding, if you're unwilling to be engaged in peacemaking today, if you're just mean like the Grinch, right? If that characterizes, characterizes your life, be honest with yourself. Confess that. And ask him to help you to be a bringer of shalom instead of a bringer of meanness. Second, consider reconciliation an act of worship. This is hard. It's, reconciliation isn't an optional sport for followers of Jesus. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, just a few verses later, actually, he would say this, Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Don't go through the motions of worship. Don't come give your praises to me on Sunday morning before you are reconciled with that person in your life. Sometimes when somebody has a problem with us, we tell ourselves it's their issue. They need to initiate this conversation. They need to initiate this reconciliation. But notice what Jesus says. If we remember that somebody has something against us, we're to go to them. We're to to be the ones to initiate it. I can't tell you how many times, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but you guys know we're, we're not on pedestals here. I cannot tell you how many Saturday nights I have to go to my wife before I stand up here on Sunday and say, we need to talk. I'm an idiot. I said it again. Right? Whatever, whatever it is. And the reason I do that is because I'm not going to stand up here and give lip service to God without being in the right place with relationships. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm going to be so clear here. I'm not talking about people who have abused you. I'm not talking about you don't need to set up boundaries in relationships. What I'm talking about, as far as it is possible for you, don't give lip service to God on Sunday morning without making sure your relational world is reconciled. Finally, seek to choose mercy over justice. We love justice not for ourselves, but for others. I want to see people, am I the only one up here? Don't leave me here. I want to see people get what they deserve. That There's some rightness to that, right? God is a just God. But if I'm going to take Jesus as my model, I was an enemy of his. And instead of justice, he chose mercy for me. And he never did me any wrong. How much more are we to give mercy to people who deserve justice? I have Matthew 18 in your notes. There, sad. Some of you put it away already. (laughs) But it's the story of a guy who was forgiven this enormous debt. But then there's a guy who has this tiny debt in his life. He's like, I won't forgive you. You're going to jail. How often are we like that? We've been forgiven this enormous debt. God and sinners reconciled. But I can't forgive a person in my life. My friends, there's obviously more I could say here about bringing peace, what that means for us. (laughs) I mean, sharing your faith with someone is the greatest peace you could bring someone. Caring for the least of these. I love that we take an extra offering every year as a way to bring shalom this year to the people of Mexico. How awesome is that, that we get to be involved in bringing shalom in those ways. But I wanted to get kind of practical and personal with you. Because I know as we head into this Christmas season, it's hard sometimes to experience shalom and to bring shalom. But this is what he has called us to do as his children. Will you pray with me? Lord, each of us right now just want to take a deep breath. This time of season can be so hectic, busy. We don't experience the kind of shalom you want us to experience. We don't experience contentment and wholeness and completeness. So we just enjoy your company. Our friend. Our father. Our savior. We praise you. You are not a God aloof in heaven to our circumstances and situations and pain and hardship. You entered into that. Emmanuel, God with us. You declared war. And you assured us victory. So as your people, we praise you. There's nothing else we can do but to say thank you for the peace that we have with you, for the peace we can have in our circumstances, and for the peace that we can bring to this world as your people, as your children. Help us as we enter into this season to not only experience peace, but to see opportunities for reconciliation with those around us. We cannot do that in our own strength, but we cling to the promise that you are with us always. And we ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, Visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.